Hey, Film Files, what's going on? So, the reason, let's see the best way to phrase this. Well, let's just do our little intro, and then I'll get into all of that. But I'll tell you, it involves Adam Sandler. This is Movie Show Theater. Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What we've got here is... Failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What do you want? You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around and pull it down. What's your favorite scary movie? Have you ever seen a grown man naked? Okay. Now, globby, bottle of cheap, stinking chip oil! You warthog-faced. Half-witted. Scruffy-looking nerf herder. So today's all about comfort movies. And I just recently got my fiancé, Anna Holguin, to watch one of my... I would, I would argue to say that it's my, my top five favorite comfort movies. Everybody's got them. It's, it's the movie that you've seen a hundred times. It doesn't get old. You can put it in at any given time. Um, it's totally timeless and priceless to you, no matter what critics may say or whatever, whatever anybody else might say about it. A couple of my comfort films are Congo, uh, Face Off would make the list, uh, Raising Arizona would make the list, Pee Wee's Big Adventure would make the list, but that also makes, I would, I would say makes my top seven, uh, favorite movies of all time, so... But I got my own reasons for that, and go ahead and message me on Facebook uh, if you're interested, and I'll tell you all about that. But before we jump to the comfort films, uh, since we are solo today, I guess I can't really say we and solo in the same sentence, but eh, who's going to correct me? We got plenty of time is what I'm saying, so I just thought I'd just thought I'd talk about a, good, uh, a couple of good movies I've seen recently, because I like to give you guys reviews and recommendations and... You know, we always go pretty in-depth on a very geeky scale about one particular movie, but um, it's nice to, you know, get a couple short, yes, it's good, no, it's not reviews, and I have some for you. All right, so uh, I was just browsing through my Netflix recently watched, and uh, there seems to be a lot of Goosebumps episodes. The new movie with Jack Black came out, which I have not seen. Um, I would not be opposed to seeing it. I don't think that it would blow me away. I expect it to be pretty much what I thought it was going to be, which is neither good nor bad. So I expect it to leave a neutral taste in my mouth, so I tend to avoid those movies. However, some of the old Goosebumps episodes are hilarious and definitely do not stand the test of time. My favorite, 100% Return to Horror Land Part 1 and 2. If you have not read it, it is a choose-your-own-adventure book. And you can purchase it probably from Amazon for probably pretty cheap. I watched a good documentary called Ghost Heads. That is a group. I guess this group is worldwide. There's one in every major city. There's one in Peoria, where I live. um, And they dress up like Ghostbusters. They obviously love the film, but it goes beyond that. A couple of people explain why the Ghostbusters films changed their life. Either there's nostalgic roots or the comedic roots or whatever, but these people are very serious, and a lot of them chip in and help out the community. They volunteer at soup kitchens, and there's a subreddit uh, for, for ghost heads, which is 
interesting. So that was that. So that was fun. Me and Anna finally watched The Born Identity, which I have never seen. The new one just came out. I I'd watch it. Uh, the Born Identity. I'm probably the only person involved uh, with this podcast that have not watched this movie. It was good. the The first half, there were a couple fight scenes where the sound editing was definitely not holding up. There were some action sequences where the scene, you could tell it was just filmed in regular speed, and then it was sped up. You know, like he's moving so fast. That's amazing. How can he move that fast? Well, the lady walking her dog in the background is walking her dog at a, a at a rapid rate. It's for sure sped up. And the punches sounded like a two-by-four hitting cement. So I don't know. And we watched Pan, uh, the Joe Wright movie. If you're a male and you don't know who Joe Wright is, just ask your girlfriend or lady friend tell you all about Joe Wright. He did movies like Atonement and Pride and Prejudice and Anna Karenina. Uh, they're they're beautiful movies. They're saturated with deep, deep storylines and very well-seated characters and always take place in England. I'm pretty sure that this movie... Uh, actually, let's see what this movie got because I was really sad when I read this. Wow, Pan is, incidentally, really difficult to look up. You go to Rotten Tomatoes and type in Pan, and of course, uh, they give you every movie that has those three letters in sequential order. Um, and there's a lot, and I don't want to know about Kung Fu Panda. Uh, Pan got a 27% on Rotten Tomatoes. And um, that was kind of sad, although not that sad, because I really didn't like it. Uh, the director, as I said, he's very, very talented director. He's got a great visual style, but there's been so many adaptations of Peter Pan. And usually when we get a new one, no one's asked for it. They did that loose adaptation, Finding Neverland with Johnny Depp. It wasn't really about Peter Pan, but it was loosely based. Nobody asked for that. We had Hook, which nobody asked for, but that movie was phenomenal, and I never need to see another Peter Pan adaptation. Robin Williams aside, that movie just makes my heart all warm and fuzzy. All right, yeah, largely because of Robin Williams. Anyway, uh, yeah, so Pan, Joe Wright took a lot of liberties with, what he did with Pan. There's an expression uh, with film called an anachronism. Whenever there's a movie that takes place at a certain time in history, sometimes you see objects either purposely put there or an accidental mess up from a grip or, or somebody. But, you know, like in, you know, if you were watching Schindler's List and you saw a cordless phone, the phone would be an anachronism or just any any object that is obviously not appropriate to the time and place in which it appears. And so Pan, so Joe Wright took some uh, artistic liberties with this film. Hugh Jackman plays Blackbeard, and I think that's the first thing that people had issues with, is that it wasn't the classic Peter Pan versus Captain Hook that we're all so familiar with. It was kind of a prequel to the Peter Pan saga, and Peter Pan is a very little boy, and... Runa Mara plays Tiger Lily, and Hugh Jackman plays Blackbeard. And there's this weird scene where Blackbeard is greeting thousands of pirates on this hovering pirate ship over this giant rock quarry where they all spend their miserable lives. And there's this really awkward speech, and he's kind of giving a uh, move-to-action speech to his troops. And all of a sudden, he goes into a verse uh, from Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana, 
And I think a lot of people were turned off by that. That people didn't know why it was put in there, and it just it it didn't fit. Uh, they felt like it didn't fit because it didn't fit. But it it was it was almost so much unfitting that it was it was kind of interesting. You know, it was like uh, the Heath Ledger movie A Knight's Tale, where a lot of the soundtrack was Queen and uh, Butt Rock from the '80s. Queen is not Butt Rock. Queen is phenomenal. Um, but there was a lot of just really inappropriate music. And it's kind of a love or hate thing. Anyway, Pan, it, it was all right. I'm not going to dwell on Pan. We have more important things to talk about. So that brings me to Adam Sandler. Today's film, one of my absolute favorite feel-good movies, is a, we'll call it an art house Adam Sandler comedy. Uh, and that's, that's really what it is. It's called Punch Drunk Love. It's from 2002. It was directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Not the Paul Thomas Anderson who directed Mortal Kombat, by the way. That is a different individual, and we will not be doing Mortal Kombat on this podcast until Stu is back, because he would hate that, and that would be hilarious. So Paul Thomas Anderson, probably most famous for uh, There Will Be Blood. He doesn't really have that large of a resume. He's only got seven feature-length films. His first one was in 96, but he directed uh, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love in 2002, There Will Be Blood, The Master, and Inherent Vice. You know, most directors have the actors they like working with or that they have good chemistry with, whatever. Spielberg has Tom Hanks. Anyway, so, so Paul Thomas Anderson seems to really, really like the late, the great Philip Seymour Hoffman. He was in he was in Boogie Nights, he was in Magnolia, he was I think he was in The Master, but he was definitely in Punch Drunk Love in a very well, I guess I won't say un PS Hoffman role because he was such a great chameleon actor and just nailed every character that he was given. So, Punch Drunk Love, I'm going to call it an art house film. Uh it's uh, art house is kind of a buzzword that movie movie lover film fanatical hipsters like to use art house is really just described as uh independently produced outside the major film studio system movie and uh a lot of times there's not much of a return for a profit it's kind of a risk a lot of studios don't like putting money into these projects but this project was made adam sandler was attached to it and um if you don't like the movie I'm going to go ahead and say that's totally understandable. It's a a slow burn of a movie. There's not a lot of dialogue, which is intentional. And I constantly wrestle with myself. I don't know if anybody else feels this way, but I always hate to come across as pretentious or arrogant with my movies. Usually anybody that tells me their favorite movie is Citizen Kane, I usually think they're probably kind of an asshole. Because, like, yes... It's a great movie. It's highly regarded among film scholars as the most incredible movie ever made. But that's not your favorite. Reach out, reach deeper. If Citizen Kane's your favorite movie, you need to reach deeper. So anyway, Punch Drunk Love. If you don't like it, totally fine. It's a very weird movie. Uh, but it's it's right up my wheelhouse because I'm a big fan of sound and, and music and film and how it's used. And this movie is a great example where the cinematography in general tells a narrative story that's parallel to the visual story. 
Like, for example, there's a, a blue suit that Adam Sandler wears the whole movie, and he is so awkward to watch. I'm not a, I'm not a big Adam Sandler fan. I think I've seen most of his stuff. Um, but I, I think he's, I think he's pretty ridiculous. I don't think his his comedy is is anything special. I think if anything, it's it's far too played out. I mean, he's he got he gets a lot of a lot of crap these days, and I kind of think it's well deserved. He has that Netflix series called The Ridiculous Six, which, as ridiculous it, as it may be, it, it made a lot of money. It's still making a lot of money, and. Adam Sandler is doing very well for himself. So love him or hate him, he's he's uh he doing it. He doing it. But this movie is very not Adam Sandler. Uh there there are some comedic elements to this movie, but to make this movie work, Adam Sandler's character, his name is Barry Egan, he's in almost every single shot, not just scene, but almost every single shot. So in order to make this story work, he's gotta nail this role. And he's this character that is incredibly unsure of everything that he does, every step that he takes, every word that comes out of his mouth, he's unsure about it. And he gets walked on by a lot of different characters in the movie. He's got this underplayed kind of shtick that you can tell it's building up. You know, like he's so calm and he's so subtle when people are walking all over him. You know that he's, he's kind of building up a little bit. But I really like his character because he totally brings out the awkwardness in all of us, right? It's so endearing. It's like the other day I was at work and you know when you're trying to say one thing but you think you're going to say something else so what you say is like a mash of those two words. Like for example, I was at work the other day. This is not a fabricated tale. But I was trying to get out of the elevator and somebody was blocking my way. So I thought, pardon me, but... I wanted to just say, excuse me, so I cinched by them, and I said, oh, party. Like, I, 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 don't know, I don't know where that came from. And it's just awkward, but you can't explain it to whoever it just happened to. Like, you just got to go with it. You just walk away. Like, as it came out of my mouth, I knew that party was not what I wanted to say. But it also doesn't help my cause to be like, you know what, hold, hold, hold this elevator for a second. You're I wanted to say, pardon me, but in my brain, I thought, excuse me. So what happened was I said, party, like, just, just go past it. But anyway, Adam Sandler has these little isms all throughout Punch Drunk Love, and they're absolutely hilarious. He has seven sisters, and they're at a party, and one of the stepbrothers, he's super uncomfortable, by the way. I mean, just watching him interact with his family I watched it with Anna a couple nights ago, and she almost had to leave the room because it was it's hard to watch, and it's supposed to be. So his stepbrother asked him how work was, and he said, business is very food. And his sister goes, what's very food? And he goes, I'm sorry, what? And his sister goes, you just said business is very food. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry. I must have said that because I'm hungry and I was thinking about food. It's just such a funny little line to put in there uh, that – It doesn't really bear any significance other than that's a very berry thing to do. And so he has these these little things that he does throughout the whole movie that are just they're just wonderful to watch. And he wears so he wears this blue suit and uh, Luis Guzman uh, plays his coworker and he asks why why the blue suit? And Adam Sandler says something like, 
I thought it would be nice to get dressed for work, and I don't really know why. It's just, it's awkward, it's cute, it's endearing, it's hard to watch. But what I was saying about the cinematography and telling a parallel story to the narrative, this is a great example. So he works in this warehouse, right, and he sells these novelty plungers with, like, little dice tops or little rowboat tops. It's it's like a made-up job. I don't even know how they came up with it. And he wears this blue suit. He's sitting in a desk at the very beginning of the movie. The movie opens up, no titles, no intro. It's just this cold open on him on the phone. And the desk is situated in the corner of the room. And cinematically, the desk is situated in the corner of the frame. The wall is white, and there's this blue stripe that runs horizontal to the floor. So just then, if you really want to go into it, Paul Thomas Anderson is absolutely a director that really examines what he's making, and every shot in his films have significance, and every line of dialogue matters. So what you kind of gather, whether consciously or subconsciously from that setup, is that his suit matches the wall, the blue stripe on the wall, so he he wants to blend in, he doesn't want to stand out, his desk is in the corner where he feels like he belongs, where he kind of lives his life, uh, is in the corner and just blending in. And there's a couple of scenes actually where he is having conflict with somebody and he turns around and he faces the corner. He stands in the corner like a child. And the desk is situated in the corner of the frame. So, like, he doesn't even feel like he deserves to be centered in the frame. So you learn a little bit about him. He's, you know, he's on the phone and this office kind of serves as his... uh, safe place, his comfort zone. And so the main door to the office is like this big closing gate. So he hangs up the phone, he leaves the office, and there's this panning shot that follows him through darkness. And then you see this gate open and it's sunrise. And just the fact that they followed him through the dark You know, like, uh, typically that would not be a very strategically placed shot is to follow somebody through darkness. It needs to be lit up. You know, you need to see the character. So what's he trying to tell us that Adam Sandler is starting in his safe place, walking through the dark? It's like he's transcending space and time to the outside, which he's very uncomfortable with. And it's not it's it's not fun for him. And it's like these two different realities. And so he 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 goes outside. He goes down to the uh, street, sees this very violent car flip and this taxi cab drops off a harmonium. It looks like a little piano. And then the camera uses these extremely wide angles to show Adam Sandler looking at this piano But they don't just show him looking at the piano. They show him from three different angles, like physically and literally exposing him to every angle. And so, uh, you know, it kind of tells a story. If you don't notice, fine. If you do notice, it just makes you appreciate it all the more. I think when I first saw this movie, I didn't recognize any of of these things. I just, I like the way the movie plays out. I like the dialogue you really only get what matters. Like, as far as lines, I was saying there's not a lot of dialogue. And Adam Sandler's character is just so endearing. I'm, I I can be really awkward with things that I say, and, oh, I didn't mean to say that, but I don't want to go back and say, well, I didn't mean to say that. What I meant to say is this, just, just go past it. 
another little awkward example uh, from my own life that you might find amusing. I was leaving uh, Kroger a couple weeks ago. That's a little that's a little grocery chain here in the Midwest, and I saw a good friend of mine putting her groceries in the car. And I was in a hurry. I didn't have time to stop. So I get to my car, and I'm like, oh, dang, I wanted to say hi to her. Then I was like, well, I hope she didn't see me because that would be really awkward, and she would wonder why I walked past her and didn't say hi. I don't want her to think that I'm, like, mad at her or something or that I intentionally avoided her. So then I was like, well, maybe I should Facebook message her and just say, hey, I saw you at Kroger. Sorry I didn't have time to stop. Hope things are well. I, you know, I, 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 I overthink everything in my head. So I, I think there's a lot of this Adam Sandler character that I can relate to. Maybe that's why I like this movie so much. Uh, but Anna loved it, by the way. I, I kind of forgot to mention that. So the cinematography kind of is that in-depth throughout the whole film, and I'm not going to like walk you through the blocking and the camera movements for the whole movie. Because if you've seen the movie, you either liked it or... You probably hated it because you thought it was very, very boring. Which, as I mentioned before, totally legit, totally fine. Just as a side note, I earlier named Face Off in Congo as one of my favorite movies. So, not trying to be pretentious here. You like what you like for your own reasons, and that's totally fine. So, colors. You ever seen, uh, well, every movie has a color palette that's designed usually by the cinematographer that kind of follows the same theme as far as colors, and it's it can be either very, very broad or very, very narrow. Uh, this film specifically, it was very, very narrow, and they use blue a lot. Obviously, his suit is blue. I think blue represents uh, his vulnerability and his self-doubt, and that's kind of why it's all over this movie is because he's filled with it. But I think what's more interesting than the blue is the red because there's not a huge amount of red. But I feel like the red is kind of there to remind us of this um, like adventurous or unknown or usually positive part of Adam Sandler's psyche. Um, I noticed it when, at the very beginning when he sees this violent car crash, uh, the car that flips is red when... Adam Sandler and Emily Watson, who plays Lena. Emily Watson is so, so cute and charming. She plays the lovely Lena. When they go on their first date, uh, she's wearing a bright red dress. And there's this scene at the supermarket that's one of my favorite scenes. There's a couple at the supermarket, actually, and I just love them all. But there's a scene that I I didn't notice this until this very last time uh, that I was watching it with Anna. But he doesn't meet Emily Watson until probably... 15 minutes into the movie and she doesn't have a significant amount of dialogue until about half an hour into the movie. But when he's at the supermarket, it's like a totally desolate, empty supermarket. But in the background, you can see a character out of focus, uh, but noticeably following him. And uh, she's wearing a red dress. Some people think it's Lena. Some people don't. Fun little side note. Speaking of Lena, you decide if this is thinking too much or not thinking enough. So if you reverse Lena, the sound that that makes, it is Anil, spelled A-N-I with an acento, L, and Anil is a plant source for indigo dye. And, of course, the suit that Adam Sandler is wearing technically is indigo. So 
Is that... Uh, all right, that's thinking too much. All right, I'll move on. Red, when Adam Sandler decides, F this place, I'm going to Hawaii. I love Lena. I want to be with Lena. I want to go to Hawaii. He passes a red truck. That's it. He just passes a red truck. He gets to the airport. He's in the terminal. He's going down the little walkway to get on the plane. And there's two women there who are wearing bright red matching outfits. That's it. Just little small things. You know, the Sixth Sense was had a lot of notoriety with their use of red, I think, because they had like an hour-long freaking documentary about the magic of red. This is why M. Night Shyamalan is a genius. But that was really obvious. There was red. Uh, well, there was a lot of red. That's what I'm trying to say. So, Punch Drunk Love, I I like all films. I'm not, uh, I mean, I have my my favorites, genres, subgenres, what have you. The, I like the romance. I like the love films. I like them enough that I don't really like the term chick flick. Um, like, I had just, uh, I just had Anna watch Fried Green Tomatoes a couple months back. Just going to put that out there. That's another one of my uh, feel-good movies. But anyway, so this movie is kind of a character study on on Adam Sandler's character, Barry Egan. And it kind of has this subplot of him calling a phone sex line just to chat. He just he like he just wants to chat with this girl. And the girl ends up stealing his identity to a certain degree, get a, getting a lot of money from him. And that is done via four brothers who are actually four brothers in real life. And a little, another little fun fact for you. And the uh, this phone sex company is run by uh, good old Philip Seymour Hoffman. And he's got this nasty, long, ratty hair. And, oh, it's just glorious. They have a front, like a front store that is a uh, furniture store. And there's a really funny uh, deleted scene. It was, I think it was a advertisement that they did for Punch Drunk Love when it first came out. But it's Philip Seymour Hoffman in character standing on the storefront. And he's talking about deals, blah, blah, blah. And he jumps down onto a pile of mattresses that are stacked onto a car. Except he doesn't hit the mattresses. He like, well, he does. He bounces off of them. And then he hits the ground. And it's really a really, a, it's, it's, it's a really gritty landing. It's really unexpected. You think you're going to laugh and it's one of those like, ooh, I think I just clenched my butt cheeks together. That hurt to watch. And I didn't really know where the origin of this weird deleted scene advertisement commercial was but i guess there was a furniture salesman from the 70s and 80s whose surname was the furniture guy and he had the exact same setup and he was just strumming this electric guitar that was not plugged into anything talks about deals jumps off his roof bounces off the mattresses and lands on the ground it's on youtube really weird really funny he bounces up uh he's totally fine so they were reenacting that for punch drunk love for the three people who know about that video. I found that online. That was not my discovery. Uh, another one of the little fun little subplots is that Adam Sandler is going through the grocery store. He finds this little coupon for Healthy Choice products, and they have a giveaway where you collect uh, UPC labels, and then those translate into frequent flyer miles when you get 50,000 UPCs equals, you know, whatever. It's, it's the stuff that we blow through all the time at the supermarket that we just think is a scam. And so he realizes that the deal that they have going on should be like you buy a $5 
healthy choice meal and you get that barcode and then that barcode gives you a very small amount of airline points. But what our hero finds is that the barcode on these pudding cups that are sold in four packs is on each pudding cup. So he gets four pudding cups for like a dollar ten, and then each barcode gives him, you know, a small amount. And then he has another coupon where that doubles each coupon. Anyway, it's an incredible amount of frequent flyer miles that he gets. And it, like, consumes his life. He buys the store out of all these pudding cups. He keeps them all at work. And I guess that was inspired by an article in Time magazine. There was this civil engineer quite a, quite a while ago named David Phillips. And he found this lucrative uh, promotion from Healthy Choice, actually. And so he bought 12,150 cups of pudding for a little over $3,000. And he he accumulated 1.25 million air miles. He never had to pay for another ticket again. Is that a good deal? No. If I bought $3,000 worth of pudding, I might not have a wedding to look forward to in September. Well, actually, no, I, I still would. We'll edit that out. She knows me better than that. So there's these little, you know, subplots that are going on all throughout the movie, but there's this overarching love story where as soon as you see the first words interacted between Adam Sandler and Lena's character... They have chemistry, and you recognize that right away. That's something that I'll, that I'll go ahead and give to uh, Adam Sandler's credit. So this film that Paul Thomas Anderson did three years prior called Magnolia, um, it was another kind of hipster, artsy, um, arthouse film. It was really good. Tom Cruise, John C. Riley, great movie. William H. Macy. But he was, getting, uh, he was doing an interview at Cannes Film Festival, and they were asking him what his next project was. They said, who are two actors that you would like to work with in the future? And he spouted off Adam Sandler and Daniel Day-Lewis, to which there was an eruption of laughter because there are not two actors on this planet that are, like, farther from each other on the spectrum of what they offer and, and what they do for film. And the next two films that he made were Punch Drunk Love with Adam Sandler, followed by There Will Be Blood with Daniel Day-Lewis. So that's fun. And they asked him what was his next movie going to be, and he said, I'm, I'm going to do a Adam Sandler comedy. More hilarious laughter. Oh, you mean the Billy Madison guy. Well, Paul Thomas Anderson ended up winning the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival for Best Director, and little Mr. Adam Sandler got nominated for a Golden Globe. So that's fun. And... The movie is just fun. The, there's the, the awkward scenes, the really subtle love story. There's a scene where he tears apart a bathroom because he's got some serious uh, underlying rage issues. And he is kind of a pathological liar. And his date found out a story about him that he did not want her to know. And he goes to the bathroom and he just rips apart this bathroom. And he gets confronted by the owner and they get thrown out of the restaurant. So they walk out of the restaurant, and it's just this really cool uh, overture, this, like, love overture by um, John Bryan, the guy who did the music, who's that's, like, a whole other podcast on its own. But they leave the restaurant, and there's no dialogue, but I think that that's so telling of Emily Watson's character is that she accepts his uh, weirdness. She accepts 
whatever it is that she doesn't know about him. You know, like if you're on a date with somebody and they're asked to leave the restaurant, there's going to be some interaction of words with what happened, what was that all about, where are we going to go eat now, do you have rage issues, Uh, did you break a window with a hammer when you were 12, or was that story made up? Uh, But there's none of that. They just walk out, and it's a very gorgeously composed tracking shot while they're walking through the streets and they're just looking at each other and looking around and she doesn't question she doesn't ask him she doesn't like hound him for answers and it's just it is a really sweet chemistry the whole movie was just like cute and sweet i think that's what i would call it is is cute and sweet there's some good fuck yeah moments where adam sandler finally reaches the point of no return he can't take anymore And those scenes are really fun to watch. The showdown between him and Philip Seymour Hoffman is pretty good. Quite a few F-words. So uh, let's listen to a clip from that. This is uh, Punch Drunk Love, Philip Seymour Hoffman, quieting down Adam Sandler. What's your name, sir? Answer me! What's your name, asshole? I'm Barry Egan! How do I know? You're a bad person. You have no right taking people's confidence in your service. You understand me, sir? You're sick. No, no, no. Shut up! Shut the fuck up! You have no right to take people's confidence. Shut up! Will you shut up? Shut up! Shut, 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 shut up! Shut up! Now! Are you threatening me, dick? Why don't you... You go fuck yourself! Oi. Fuck! Did you just say, go fuck myself? Yes, I did. That wasn't good! You're dead! Yeah, that's phenomenal. You can just tell they had so much fun filming that scene. So, we didn't really talk about the music too much. Uh, I guess, without getting into, like, a whole new geeky soapbox, you know how Birdman, everybody loved it, and there were those... Scenes with the really unnerving percussion, and they would have these incredible tracking shots where they're following Michael Keaton through the theater, and the camera pans over just just enough to see a man that's actually playing the drums, kind of breaking the fourth wall. They kind of do that with Punch Drunk Love, not breaking the fourth wall, but using music to tell an even different story. Uh, the, there's there's scenes that are really, really hard to watch, and they just make you nervous. Like, you don't know what he's going to say. You you have He could say anything at this point. I mean, some of the stuff that's come out of his mouth is, like, ridiculous. And the percussion and the rhythm and the beat, it's not very concordant, and it's very, very noticeable. Music isn't always supposed to be picked up on by the viewer you know a lot of times it's supposed to be subconscious it just kind of sneaks in there and and raises the emotional emphasis or the you know physicality of a fight scene or whatever you're not always supposed to notice music you know kind of like with editing um i forget who it was there's a famous editor that said the best the best editor in the world will do the best job he can when nobody notices his work isn't that sad Unless you're editing a Quentin Tarantino movie in which uh, nothing is linear. Anyway, uh, yeah, the soundtrack is the soundtrack is is great, done by John Bryan. So my nerdiness and passion for movies is 
ridiculous when uh, I, I was just really excited to show Anna that movie. I get really excited to watch certain movies with certain people. Like you see a great movie and one of your friends or family members pops into your head like, oh, I bet they would like this. And then you recommend it to them and maybe that's where it stops for you. Not for me. I got to watch it with them. Uh, I promised I wouldn't talk about Stranger Things, but I'm just going to say one thing, okay? I'm just going to say one thing, one thing about Stranger Things. Uh, I don't know why I thought my parents would enjoy the show. Anna uh, assured me that they would not like it. Uh, similar to when I had them watch the first episode of Game of Thrones, I was not right about that one. Sorry, Mom and Dad. Uh, I kind of forgot about that incestuous scene. Anyway, um, I told them about this show. I like I sold them on Stranger Things like I had created this show. I was like just so enthusiastic about it. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll check it out. And I was like, I'll come over tonight. And so I went over there, and uh, we watched three episodes, and and they liked it. And I uh, went over and watched – went over to their house again to watch the other three. And then I came over a third time to watch the other two because it was very important to me that I see their reactions firsthand. Like it's – I don't know why. It's just it's very important to me. Uh, just ask Anna how I feel about showing trailers to her. Um, actually, don't. Don't ask her because I get a little demanding. Anyway, so that's about all I have. Punch Drunk Love. It's a good movie. If you've already seen it, you didn't really care for it, that's cool. Maybe next time the movie will be more up your alley. If you don't really remember it, totally go back and watch it. Find me on the Movie Show Theater Facebook page. Message me. I will find a way to get that movie to you for free. Even if you live in the Netherlands, I will get that movie to you for free. Not illegally, mind you. I have... Lots of channels that I work through, all of them very legit. But I want you to watch this movie, and I want to uh, spread the love. That is awkward humor. So uh, you can listen to the rest of our episodes we have, or at least a good chunk of the rest of our episodes. We have like two and a half years of episodes, but there's a whole bunch of them on our SoundCloud page that's ever-growing. SoundCloud.com slash Movie Show Theater. There's also links on our Movie Show Theater Facebook page. You can find us through the 90.7 Facebook page. I wanted to thank everybody who supported us and everybody who listens to us. Um, So, yeah. So, thanks. Um, Next week, we will be back uh, with Ben and Stu and a fourth special guest, if I can find another microphone. And send a request. You can put a request on the Facebook wall. Uh, you can send me a message, whatever. If you if you live in close proximity, you should totally come over to the house and do a podcast with us. I got a little studio upstairs. I got some soda pops. It'll be totally fun. We'll have a good time. I do appreciate you supporting us. We're here every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. on 90.7 WAZU. So we will, well... We will see you next week, but it's still just me. Just me and the VHS tapes. All right. This has been Movie Show Theater. Theater.